was doing right before I got on the air tonight, which was, what was, I was watching I was watching Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh no! How far are you? Episode three. Okay. What What are your thoughts? You finished episode three? Yes, I just just now. Okay, so you've seen the first confrontation, if you want to call it that. Yep. That's a bad show. <laughs> I've got yeah, so by the time this is out, that sixth and I guess final episode will be out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm watching it with my wife and and we're just sitting there like this is not a good show. Like both of us are like this isn't good. <laughs> How knowledgeable is she about Star Wars? I kind of have to fill in some gaps now and sure. then, but mostly it's like we're, we we've got it. Like, you know, that recap did you know did a fair amount of stuff and then i just sort of for some reason i was i just found myself explaining stuff and i was like why do i know this and then i was mad at myself that i knew stuff (laughs) you're a regular wikipedia Wikipedia. i know i stop it don't say that (laughs) um woodoo hide i don't anybody who watches red letter media will understand that reverend i'm just sitting there and it's just like okay so we just got the part where it's like yeah, take her, take her to Alderaan. Like, go, go through the tunnel. I'll, I'll distract them, and like, so it's like, okay, so you're, you're just gonna get off your mission then. It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. apparently. And then like a second later, like the little girl's like, but you should help him. I can, I can make it on my own because Leia's so fierce. And then like, the adult with her says, "You're right, child. I'll, I'll, yeah, just go to the end of the tunnel, <laughs> take a left, and meet up with the pilot." Right. By the way, if this was a real operation, the pilot would be like, "Hey, where's my friend? Where's my friend? Like, why? Are you, what happened to my friend? Correct. Did Did you do something to my friend? Like, right. he'd be like, if that were if I were the pilot, I'd be like, I'm not going anywhere without my contact. Where is she? Correct. I don't know you, child. I don't trust you. Right. But this woman's like, you're right. You're right, little girl. I'm gonna go. Just head down the tunnel. It's like you just promised this person. <sighs> Who you? By the way, you just kind of met like a few minutes ago. Yeah. A few minutes before that, you met him, and then you're like, "Yes, I I promise you, I'll take her." And then like five minutes later, you're like, "But the little girl told me to to go back and save you." And then you got two people somehow getting in and out of tunnels that I thought only had one in and out. And then right. <laughs> we're just like, she pops up. It's like, how'd she get oh, through the thing? How, and then yeah, like, right. it's like, are you the one I'm meeting? It's like, no, he couldn't make it. It's like, how did she get to the end of the tunnel? Correct. And then <laughs> she didn't even bother to move the dead body out of view. Like well, step one, <laughs> if you're going to kill someone and pretend to be them, pretend the to be body. their replacement, you might want to move the body after you this kill them. a good thought. Just sure. Hide, just, just drag the body. And the whole time Tara was like, before all this, she's like, I guess this is like, this is clearly like a, a show that's made for kids because of like how much everyone's over explaining what they're doing. That's the thing. I don't think it is. And everyone's blah, blah, blah. And then like right after she said that, Darth Vader like kills a child by snapping his neck. And I yeah. was like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I think this is made for adults. I think they just have no. It's just so bad. <laughs> yeah. They just have no concept of like how to tell a story. It's really bad. I was telling her like, these have gotten worse. Like Boba Fett was like, not very good. Yeah, yeah. This is actively bad. Yeah, so so far, I couldn't finish I Boba Fett. Qualify. If we're being honest, so I don't I can't judge it. But what I can say is Obi-Wan not good. And like I didn't have the highest of expectations, but 
Yeah, and maybe we'll do like a full episode on it or something yeah. and have Kellen on. But so I'll, I'll save my critique, maybe. But I don't <laughs> want to overpromise. But one thing that that bothered me with that episode three, and this happens a few times during the show, and you'll mm-hmm. if you continue, you'll see this exact I'm, I'm gonna, thing. Yeah, you'll see this thing, this type of storytelling happen over and over. Um, in episode three, Obi Wan and and Vader have a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Vader lights this big fire and throws Obi-Wan on it. Yeah. And he's all, he's like writhing in pain for a minute. Ah, ah, yeah. And it looks awful. Yeah. And then, and then, and then Vader does like a force push. Yes. And pushes him out of the fire. Extinguishes and it put, the fire. And it extinguishes the fire. Yes. Then the, the lady person uh, starts the fire back yeah. and Vader's like, well, can't do anything. What am I going to do? There's fire in the way of me. I literally said that. I was like, you put it out just a second ago. Just do it again. And he's like, literally, I think we should go home. And then like, it's like, we're going to let these people get away. And so we all leave the scene. And the next time we see those people, yeah, they're like just over the dirt hill. They didn't even flee. They're just like, oh, thank God. I guess they left. Hey, we need to get him to a hospital. (laughs) Right. That that's, it's the, it's the most, it's the dumbest thing. Cause this happens more than once where a power is displayed and then something happens two minutes later that the power would then be useful at, at stopping (laughs) and they don't do it. And I'm like, the only explanation is that like, there's a force recharge. And anytime you use the force, your, your meter has to fill up again, like a video game, an early model iPhone battery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly oh, so like God, vader's already? like oh, oh no i can't do it again ah i've got 20 percent left <laughs> i can't waste it in. here sorry guys but no I need my force it, yeah, lightning cable all, all, and so two things all i would have had to do three things is is force push it extinct and extinguish it walk <laughs> around it it's not a big fire <laughs> Or three, it's like a pre- foot fire. presumably your suit is fireproof. Mm-hmm. You you just, yeah. you fell into lava, and that's why you're in the suit. <laughs> I would not get into a suit that's not fireproof. It, it would have been so funny if he had had like a flashback of like oh PTSD. no, it was like four, four days. Well, I guess it was ten years ago. But like oh, yeah. like he like a real quick nineties like cross design ah! screen of like remember what it was like when i almost burned to death and he he he, he has like a panic attack he's like oh, i'm afraid of I fire can't, i can't you guys gotta get me out of here huh <laughs> I, I lit him on i lit my enemy on fire without thinking that maybe i'm still I'm afraid kind of, of fire trauma, uh scarred by, by this, this, fire. Is, this is the equivalent of batman summoning bats in batman begins <laughs> and then being so afraid he's he like, can't oh, leave oh fuck oh. <laughs> oh 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 no no the bats are here i didn't think I this through s- Shouldn't have summoned a fear that's also my greatest fear. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> Tor- torture one on one. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway. No, it's it's just not a it's just a it's just a bad show so far. And uh, I'm yeah. I'm just I'm I'm honestly kind of shocked. So I am too. I'm shocked because like I know probably what it took to get Obi- to get Obi-Wan, to get you and McGregor yeah. involved. Yeah. I'm surprised he would read these scripts and say, yeah, this is how I want to do it. Yeah. I'm that that's what shocks me. It's like he's in this like his involvement was like the only reason I even cared about this show. Right. I stupidly figured that 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 Ewan McGregor would not sign on to something that was subpar. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I thought that he did do Birds of Prey. So (laughs) I don't know why I thought that. 
Yeah, I don't know. He he. Well, what we've learned is he likes money. He he won't say no to money. That is uh, correct. So, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, there's a there's a little preview of uh, what's to come for us talking yeah. about Star Wars. There you go. Oh, By the way, boy. I'm munching on popcorn right now. I hope I hope this isn't like super distracting. I'll stop. No, I'll just, it's bad podcasting. I'll just take several hours. Take it out later. Yeah, I figured, I figured I'll just put you through the ringer on this episode. It's okay. Dustin doesn't think I'm working hard enough. So Brought to you like, by Smart Food Popcorn. <laughs> I'm going to eat during the podcast <laughs> because this is too easy for Hooper now. I'm hungry. I went to the pool today, so I'm just like famished. You know that after pool hunger? <laughs> and then like you eat dinner and you're like, I'm still hungry. Oh, Help. dude. Yeah, we had, a, we had an event at our house over the weekend uh, and uh, I... I have a, a lot of leftover food. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm eating like charcuterie for breakfast. That's fine. I had garlic stuffed olives today with my lunch. It's not something I normally have laying around. <laughs> right, right. I've got a bunch of food that I really need to eat. So ever since last year, I've had the task of, you know, my whole 2001 and 20 years film lists. And so uh, I watched some movies and I went through, you know, I didn't go through, I didn't watch every single film that came out in 2001, but I basically went down the list and said, okay, here's some stuff that either interests me or, oh, I remember liking this. Let me watch it again. Or I never yeah. saw this and this gets talked about a lot. Um, that being said, there's still a fair amount of things I did not see, but it's that other people, if anyone one day decides to like fact check me, like, what about this movie that like everyone loves? It's like, I didn't think it looked that great and or right. it wasn't on streaming anywhere and yep. or uh, I just ran out of time and just didn't care. So, right. Um, yeah. So I made a list of yep. um, of what I'm going to call my my I don't want to call it the best of 2001. I don't want to call it my favorite 2001. I just want to say here's movies here's in a, 2001 yeah. that. I think uh, that I enjoyed for one reason or another that I think are worth recommending, especially yeah. after all this time. Sure. Uh, and then I'll let you know about my bevy of honorable mentions and dishonorable mentions. Um, okay. After the fact, I have some, uh, some paragraph or shorter hot takes on a few of these. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, let's talk about what to recommend first. And then if people want to okay. stick around for the others, we can do that. Um, so I have a 12, I have a list of 12, I guess, because I had things on here that were higher and then I downvoted them after something else took their spot and didn't delete them because I am lazy. Uh, so number 12 for 2001 is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And, uh, and we've talked about this before. Like it's, it's, it's really, I didn't write any notes for it or anything, but just kind of like as a warm up. Um, I think I mentioned this the last time we were on the air, like the Harry Potter movies are great. Uh, yep. but the first couple films are kind of weak, uh, in retrospect yeah. and, you know, considering how good the later ones are, the early ones don't really hold up, you know, sure. the CG is, you know, comparatively janky. The, uh, you know, the kids are all great in their roles, but it's still a bunch of kids acting. Yeah, exactly. Which by the way, is another thing about Kenobi. That's just, yeah, just terrible. Is... I know. <laughs> Anyways, I um, so, uh, so I put Harry Potter at number 12. Um, okay. I don't know. I I, I yeah I I do like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I think it's a it's a solid little family yeah. uh, adventure movie. 
but but it doesn't really rise above that and and it mm-hmm. won't be until rise uh i mean uh or uh crap what's it called uh prisoner of azkaban mm, is that yeah. it that's what it's called gosh my brain is a mess today um and <laughs> got the pool um, brain I, I i've got the pool brain i stayed up late last night writing and like my brain's just messed up so <sighs> nevertheless um Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that's when the series kind of elevates itself into something a little more meaningful. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, like at that point, it's still plenty kid friendly and it's still mm-hmm. absolutely for kids. But like that, that's sort of the moment where Alfonso Cuaron takes it and, and makes it into something a little bit better. Yeah. So you're right. The first two movies are weaker by comparison, but they're not like bad movies. No. They're not they're not in any way you know, unwatchable. So yeah, I agree. No. And even at the time they still, they still had clearly like nailed the tone, the ideal tone of the books. Yeah. Like this is light and these are kids discovering things, but there is this undercurrent of, of dread. Yes. You know, throughout. And even that still exists in those movies. And that's, that's, that's what, that's what keeps it from being just a silly kids movie about wizards. Um, it keeps it like, no, this is like a serious story and like a real threat. And, and, you know, there's a real sadness that underlies this character, uh, even when he's happy for sure. And, and I think you can totally tell that the seeds are planted for like a serialized story that's going to span the, the, the entire franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, 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 there, there's plenty for an adult to latch onto like, oh, this story is definitely deeper than just you know, this little mystery that the kids are on right now. Um, there's, there's more to it and there's more coming. And I think that's, that's exciting. Okay. Uh, number 11, um, I've got the princess diaries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the princess diaries. Uh, so I had seen this movie before, um, but I hadn't watched it recently. Sure. Um, have you, you've, you've seen the princess diaries, haven't you? Yeah, but it's been a long time. The princess diaries is solid. Um, okay. Again, you want to look at everything that came out in 2001. It's like, wow, really? The princess died. But like, I don't know. I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate, you know, a well-structured, um, you know, enjoyable film as much as anybody else. So, yeah. Um, you know, the princess diaries, I mean, this is, I think when people became aware of Anne Hathaway, right. This was like her yep. big breakout role. Yep. Um, it gets referenced all the time. Um, yep. and it holds up, I think, um, okay. other than like, like, oh, 2001 high school stuff, sure. you know, it's still like, this is some solid character conflict, like, but you're becoming someone you're not. And like, you yep. know, uh, fish out of water, got to learn to be proper and stuff, but like, right. uh, you know, bring some real authenticity to this role that I've now born into and stuff mm. like there's all that, that good, that good screenwritery stuff. That's just really yeah. like, it's, it's, it's worth studying as a, as a screenplay, just like, I think at least like, and it just, it does, it's a really solid movie that just, that I think just holds up. So sweet. Yeah, I can't I can't add anything. I, I haven't seen it in so long, but but I remember yeah. Julie Andrews being cool, like yeah. like being being a, a standout in that film. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty solid, I gotta say. Okay. Um number 10 uh is Shrek. Um okay. we make fun of Shrek because uh it's it's just it just became this stupid thing. Uh yeah. As a franchise, but the first Shrek yeah. is pretty great. 
Um, okay. So, you know, we got some, some jank animation, of course, sure. you know, sure. making mud is hard. Um, yep. but, um, all in all Shrek is a extremely creative, yeah. um, genuinely funny movie, um, yep. that has a lot going for it. Uh, and especially for adults, um, I mean, when you get down to like the whole, like Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to make an anti-Disney film, there's a whole thing you can find about the reasons why Shrek was even pitched. Um, and it was just a big fuck you to Disney, uh, basically. And I I just, I just think it's, I just think it's really, really brilliant and really funny. And there's just a lot of things about that are, that are really cool. And, uh, I don't know. I was watching it. I was just like, wow, I was just surprised at, cause I was thinking like, yeah, I remember Shrek. I remember liking Shrek as a kid, but like, it's not going to hold up. It holds up pretty well. It's actually, okay. it's a pretty clever movie. Um, and this is it before it became did. just a silly money train Meme. for DreamWorks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably one of the movies that I saw the most when I was a kid. Yeah. Not, not necessarily <laughs> through any fault of my own, but like no. any family function where like there was a bunch of kids, it was like, just put on Shrek, you yeah. know, or like, any you go to a dentist office and they're playing Shrek, you know, it's mm-hmm. like that was the talk of the town at the time. And and I remember like I remember the the general feeling around it when it came out was like. The adults, at least around me, were like, "Ooh, I don't know, that's a little too adult, you know, whatever. Like right. I hear it's really adult. I don't know if we need to see this kind of a thing. And then and then everyone saw it and it was like, oh, it's really like, yeah, there's stuff for adults in it, but it's really not like so overtly adult that a kid can't watch it. Right. Um, and so everybody kind of like ate their own words on it and it became really popular. And of course, like everybody had it on VHS and we just like wore it out. And, and again, not, I, I don't know that I ever owned it, but I saw it like 8 billion times. We did. We had it on DVD. I, I know I had Shrek two on DVD. I don't know if I ever had the first Shrek. Mm. Um, the weird thing is, I think yes. Hold on, wait. Do you wait have for it? it? Dustin, I have. have I have all. I have all four of these. Sorry, my mic just fell over. <laughs> I have. Are there four movies? I don't even know. There might be four. There are four movies. I have all four of them on Blu-ray. Wow. I found it in a bargain bin and paid like two dollars for this, <laughs> and I've never watched it once. So there you go. It's Shrek. Shrek one is worth revisiting. And there's some stuff in Shrek two that, I mean, there's funny jokes, obviously, yeah. but like that's where it's like, okay, what are we doing? Like what, where are we supposed to be going with this? And, and, and then things get more simplistic story wise, you know, but they do get broadened and built out and funny, um, uh, world story world wise. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of funny stuff in the second movie about like that, that, uh, that talks a lot about commercialism and sure, you know, there there's hilarious like products and apparel and ads that are in the second movie, but like, yeah, which is funny and expansive and everything. And, and that's great. But I, I prefer the relative simplicity and cleverness of just this movie. Yeah. What I remember the standout of like Shrek two was that it was lampooning like LA, like Los Angeles mm-hmm. culture and like yeah. uh, Hollywood. And so I remember that, but, but with the first film, yeah, it's just, it's just a fairy tale and yeah, it's telling an anti Disney story and whatever. And that's really cool. What I think is really cool about Shrek. And if you ever look at the behind the scenes of it, it's really fascinating because originally Chris Farley was set to play Shrek. 
and yes. you can go on YouTube and you can actually hear his dialogue. Um, yeah. There, there are excerpts floating around out there of him and it was a much different film at that point. Um, and then, um, and then Mike Myers was cast after Chris Farley passed away and, and Mike recorded the entire film without the accent, without Shrek's signature accent. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and everything like, it, it just didn't quite like fit right, but nobody knew why. And, and as I understand it, Mike Myers called up Spielberg and said, Steven, I want to re-record all my dialogue, but this time I want to use a Scottish accent. And Spielberg was like, cool. Yeah, that may be what the movie needs. And I think, I, I, I could very well be wrong, but I feel like it was on Mike Myers' dime. Like, I think he paid for it. And like, he felt so strongly about that, that he paid mm -hmm. for, you know, the studio time, the studio and, time. and whatever else. And, yeah. and re-recorded all of his lines well after like animation had begun, maybe it, maybe it was mostly locked and, and re-recorded all of those lines with the accent. And, um, I, I may be, I, I may be paraphrasing or, or fudging on some of those details, but that that's the general story. And I think that the behind the scenes of this film is kind of fascinating to me. No, it truly is. And, uh, yeah. th that's, it's, it's as much entertaining to read about why it got made in the first place as it is to, to, to watch it. I mean, if you're an, yeah. obviously if you're an adult and you're like, Oh, should I watch Trek again? And like, it's like a fun companion piece. I think it was on like, yeah. I think it was on like a cinema blend or something, which is weird. Cause mm -hmm. usually their content's kind of trash, but somebody, <laughs> somebody had written like this Shots big thing fired. of like, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about why Shrek got made. And I read it and I was yeah. like, Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, number nine is I have Donnie Darko on here. Okay. Uh, Donnie Darko is overhyped to me as a movie. Like it is, it's one of those movies. It, it deserves praise, but it's one of those like, yes, I like it as much as the culture seems to like it. The film culture seems to like it, but I feel like I'm here for the right reasons. I feel like yeah. I'm here for the, the mystery and the, the filmmaking and the like, okay, what's going on kind of stuff. And other yeah. people are here. Cause it's like, I like dark stuff and Frank. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, great. Good for you. Uh, I feel like I'm interested in the movie itself. And, uh, sure. you know, Donnie Darko is, is you've seen this, right? I have not seen Donnie. Darko. Oh, you haven't seen Donnie Darko. I've not seen Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko is so, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, yep. and what's, what's Donnie Darko is essentially a movie about, uh, this really disturbed kid, um, who has preexisting, like, um, kind of like, um, um, behavioral mental issues. Um, and he is visited by this creepy bunny costumed specter who's like, here's, here's the, here's the exact time, uh, when the world ends. And it's like a, and it's essentially like him trying to figure out what his role in all of this is, what okay. his destiny is in all this. And it's a kind of really slow, like trail of him just kind of navigating the, like the, the banal existence of, you know, the late eighties in yeah. California and uh as like a you know um high schooler and uh with this kind of surreal element of the world ending and time travel and um 
you know, seeing things. And it's just, it's one of those, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting because of its execution. Um, and just Jake Gyllenhaal's really good in it and creepy. And, yeah. um, so Donnie Darko made the list because it was, it's just interesting. It's just an interesting sure. movie. I've seen it. I think this is my third time watching it and okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like good, but like, yeah, I didn't write anything here, but, but one of the things about it that was, that is good is that just, it wraps up and you're like, not fully on fully sure I'm aware of everything that just happened, but mm-hmm. it feels tidy. It feels like it makes sense. Sure. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. big old Reddit threads about the plot of this movie and, and what exactly happens. And it's one of those movies where you're like, like, okay, it happened, but like you start to pick it apart, like inception, like you get what happened, but like people start to argue about like, if it makes sense or not. So, yeah. you know, but uh, gotcha. If you haven't seen Donnie Darker, I watched it, I think, on IMDb TV back when okay. it was still IMDb TV. Now it's yep. Freevee. Yes. So it might still be on there. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. Number eight, The Fast and the Furious. Okay. So, yeah, 2001 was when this film first came out. And what's cool about The Fast and the Furious um, by itself is that it's basically point break you know, it's, it's under undercover cop gets in with like a gang of, you know, I say bank robbers. They steal like, they like boost trucks. Like the plot, (laughs) the plot of fast and furious is for some reason, the FBI is in, it has undercover agents working people stealing DVD VCR combos from trucks that's okay. what the FBI considers a good use of its resources. And then of course, by yep. like the 10th movie, these people are going to space and you know, <laughs> right. All kinds of stuff. But the fast and furious is actually a really solid movie. Um, and, uh, you know, the driving's really cool. And, uh, again, aside from some 2001 silliness, uh, sure. you know, this is the beginning of these characters, relationships and journeys that do get paid off in other film in, in later films. Um, and it's the beginning of why people like these movies so much. And, uh, but as, as a film, it's just, it's really, really solid. And, and obviously structurally as a movie has to be, you know, at this, in the, at this time in cinema history and a, with this kind of movie, like the script has to be pretty airtight and it is, um, you know, again, if you've seen point break, you understand like the character conflict of the Johnny Utah slash Brian O'Connor, uh, character, like, I'm trying to do my job. Hey man, that was too close. No, there's no way I'm going to wear a wire, man. And then mm. you get in with these guys and now you have, a, you have a bond. And so now you're too close to your mark and it's like, Oh, I don't want to bring him to justice. And now I think I'm in love with his sister and you know, mm. Oh, con conflicts. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, fast and the furious is solid. Uh, Another one I've never, I have not seen. You've seen the eighth film. <laughs> I've seen right? only the eighth film of this franchise. <laughs> Very randomly. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We'll have to fix that. I got to get okay. everyone together to do a whole thing. When the last one comes out, I want to talk about the entire franchise. Do a, okay. Okay. All right. Um, number seven, I have Black Hawk Down. Okay. Which I saw for the second time for this list, and so I actually put down star ratings at this point. Um, so I gave it three and a half mm-hmm. stars. Um, and what I wrote was that it's a really well-made war movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, everyone talks about Black Hawk Down. Um, yep. 
kind of in the pantheon of like well-executed war movies. Um, I didn't love it. Um, but the fact that everything kind of takes place in one, one raid, mm-hmm. it keeps that, that, that keeps the pace going. There's a whole lot yeah. of narrative beats that go on to where it could feel long. If this was like something that took place over a week. Sure. But the, but the idea that like, this is a, a single day, a single occurrence, yeah. there's just this inherent sense of like, okay, the clock is ticking. Like they could be running up on the block on you. And, um, right. You know, some, some very horrific deaths and terrible things happen in this movie. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm not sure in the end what exactly they were trying to say, um, with it or, uh, I didn't really latch on to any of these characters very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to give it up to Ridley Scott for delivering a really well executed movie nonetheless. Yeah. I haven't seen this since man, a long time ago. I don't even know when. So I, I feel like I can't really review it either. Um, but my memory is that I liked it. My memory is that, you know, Ridley Scott made a good movie. So cool. Yeah, it, it's just it's just a good movie. It's one of those where it's like when we talk about why Ridley Scott's such a good director, it's like yeah. you put it in Black Hawk Down because it's here's another yeah. large scale, you know, insanely complicated movie that he made that's well done, you know. Yeah. And you know what's great about Ridley Scott, too? I mean, I, I think I think his stuff tends does tend to be hit or miss. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about him as a filmmaker is he's e- able to easily juggle something that's dramatic and Mm -hmm. serious with something that's epic or something Mm -hmm. that's comedic or something that's horror or something that's sci-fi. And he, he's like one of the, one of the, or this war movie, um, he can do just about anything. And I think that's pretty rare. Um, because you think about like, even, even something like matchstick men, which is so overlooked, but it, it, but it exists in like, Ridley Scott's upper echelon of movies to me. Um, oh, yeah. It's just weird that that same director also made Blade Runner. Right. right? Yeah. That's just weird. It is. But yeah. You know, yeah, Magic Myth is great. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Um, Sticking with war movies, number six, Enemy at the Gates. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have not seen this. Also 3.5. Um, okay. uh, this is Jude Law, uh, Rachel Weisz, um, mm-hmm. Joseph Fiennes. Uh, and Ed Harris, um, mm. and uh, is Owen Wilson in this? Why no, do I? That is behind enemy lines. Ah, there you go. Another one yes. I haven't seen. Okay, gotcha. No, um, uh, enemy at the gates is is World War II Russia, and mm. we have a Russian sniper Vasily Zaitsev, played by Jude Law, who who basically, mm. um you know, his, him sort of becoming like this, he's just a good sniper. And so they keep using him and then they propagandize him. And then there's like a love story in there. And then like, you know, you know, fighting for the freedom of our country. And so um, it's Captain America, the first Avenger. Much less like (laughs) there's no him. Like, you know, he, he doesn't like, you know, being the poster boy for the war effort or anything. And then Ed Harris is this German sniper that the Mm -hmm. Nazis send in to, to specifically hunt Jude law. Mm -hmm. So what's great about enemy at the gates, it it really holds up. Um, Mm -hmm. It really, really, really holds up. Well, 
There's a lot of commitment to atmosphere and setting because there's a whole lot of like him just hiding among rubble yeah. and waiting. Uh, and the production design on this movie is ridiculous. There's just wreckage. Like the the concept of like designing an entire space geographically that's just a gigantic abandoned like business park or mm-hmm. city block. I don't even know how they did it. Um, yeah. I guess that you just go around studios and you're like, we need set materials. Like, Hey, there's nowhere we're going to build all these sets in time. We're not building them. We're going to yeah. bulldoze all these bricks into this gigantic parking lot yeah. and yeah. make it, you know, war torn Russia and somehow establish cin- cinema geography around there. Um, wow. It's crazy. Uh, the, wow. the production design team outdid their self. The sets are massive, detailed, and numerous. There's there's a dozen different places where uh, these, uh, the, I'm going to call them sniper battles because there's not even battles, just like these scenes take place. Um, uh, all of our leads are great. Jude Law is great. Rachel Weiss, Joseph Fiennes, Ed Harris, all great. Uh, the tension and the character dynamics are compelling. The character motivations all track. Um there's a little bit about like how much this was made up or um, embellished sure. after the fact. So, but that to me doesn't really matter because um, it's just, that's just showbiz. But yeah. a lot of people, I was doing some reading about it and apparently at the time, like that was a big deal to people at the time. Mm. Like in 2001, people like couldn't get past that. They're like, but it might be fake. <laughs> it's, okay. It's, it's a, a movie. movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. So I, uh, whatever yeah. uh yeah yeah okay it's it's Fair it's enough. it's great I, I definitely recommend enemy at the gates i, I remember liking Sweet. it and i owned it but i forgot like just it just really holds up really well Sweet. all right number five uh blow also three and a half Sweet. um this is probably the dozen dozenth time i'd seen blow and again another one always liked it uh, didn't think too much about it in terms of like, is it really good? And I watched it holds up. Um, Sweet. still moves really quickly. Really? What well. did you ever see this with me? I feel like we watched. Yeah. This. Yeah. You like showed it to me. I think our freshman yeah. year in college. Yeah. 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 So that's and the last like, time I've seen it. Yeah. But, but it's so blow is very quickly paced. There's just a lot going on. A lot of time being spanned. Lots of like, stuff happening. Okay. And then we started selling, then we started selling cocaine instead of weed. And here's, here's how our business accelerated, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. So, um, so that still makes sense. The performances are very, very good. Johnny Depp is very good in blow. Um, Ray Liotta plays his father. Ray Liotta is terrific in blow. Um, he's just this increasingly sad character, um, who still has this love for his son, even though he's, an international drug kingpin. Um, and he's just like this sad old, you know, repair man from Boston. Um, he's great in it. Um, Oh, I forgot the actor's name who plays Diego. Um, Oh crap. I forgot his name. He's great. Um, Paul Rubens is in this movie. Pee wee. Paul Rubens is great. He is, he is really good. Franco Patant is good in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, just a lot of great actors in this movie. A lot of people you see in bit roles all the time. It's just, everyone's just really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, exactly as I remember it. it. Uh, Human drama is just as good as I remembered it. Um, sweet. Really good. Oh, Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz is great in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. 
Um, okay, so that's blow. Number four, The Mummy Returns. Um, yeah. Since we talked about this within the last year on the podcast, people should just go listen to the mummy episode with uh that the four of us did um much more detail on that review but uh you know like it's like i said at, at, at that point you know they they did a lot of great action and set pieces utilizing our two lead actors really yeah. well and we talked about how story-wise their relationship was strengthened um um since the previous film uh in a way that is really great and makes sense and yeah. um they incorporated more gunplay into the stunts. Uh, yeah. And I, I wrote, good God, Rachel Weiss is beautiful. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but The Mummy Returns is a really, really su- great sequel. And yeah. 20 yeah. years later, it holds up really well. as just a really good action film. Yeah, agreed. It, again, go go listen to our other review. But, but yeah, for sure. I, I love this movie and definitely recommend it. Number three, Memento. Yay. Yeah, I gave this four stars. Um, it's been a while since I'd seen Memento. I used to have the DVD of it uh, that was like the case file. Yeah, I've got that. It's around here. You somewhere. have it? Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, the film, I wrote the film is transfixing. Yeah. That specific word. Yep. You're looking at every little thing because you are trying to sort of piece, orient yourself in the, in the, in the narrative, just like uh, uh, Guy Pierce is. Um, it rewards multiple rewatches, obviously, because of the very nature of it just being told in reverse. Yep. Um, it's very well acted. Yep. Um, every watch of the film gives dimension to the performances. The more you watch this film, the better yep. the performances get because you just, yep. you realizing how many emotions and, and story beats that people are playing that you just yep. don't catch because you're only seeing the film through Leonard Leonard Shelby's eyes uh, mm. the first time through. Yeah. And the more you watch it, the more you remember, wait, this character is actually like bad and yeah. you know, stuff like that. So yeah. um, everything changes once we go backward in time, the performances are, are recontextualized in every scene. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it's just a very, obviously a very creative film. Um, uh, but logistically like for Christopher Nolan to have pulled off such a, such a well-executed film and kept track of all the story and try how do you set up something that's supposed yeah. to occur at the end of a story? You know, like how do you, yeah. how, how do you do all the introducing at the narrative end of a story? Correct. Like all the, all that stuff is just like, that is some, that is some very, very technical filmmaking. Yes. And it's, it's really, really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. And it makes me want Christopher Nolan every time I see this, which I haven't seen it in a while, but every time I yeah. see it, it makes me want Christopher Nolan to go back to something like this, which is, mm-hmm. and, 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 and to be fair, I think he, I think he was trying with Tenet. Like, I think mm-hmm. Tenet is, is the blockbuster. I've got too much money to spend version of Memento. <laughs> yeah. And, and you get lost in the weeds of like the mechanics and the special effects and the visual effects of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you forget exactly what you just said, which is a transfixing story. Um, and the fact that like this thoughtful approach to how do we introduce characters, how do we get them to, you know, the audience to latch onto those characters and root for those characters, despite the fact that we're beginning at the narrative end, um, it, it, that's thoughtful. And, and if I were in those shoes, it, I, I think it would, 
almost be too much for my brain to handle. Like, okay, I have to, I have to tell this story. I've, I've mapped out a story. Now I'm going to flip it and make sure that the things you're supposed to do at the beginning of the movie, I'm doing here at the beginning of the movie, which is actually the end of the story. And like trying to, to manipulate the story in that way, I think is beyond my capabilities. But, um, all that said, like, it's clearly what Christopher Nolan is good at is, is establishing good characters in a good story. Mm -hmm. And, and we see that throughout his, his filmography, you know, we're thinking about like the prestige where it's another film that's told non-linearly that rewards its, uh, viewers, uh, upon a second watch. Um, and, and it's very similar to this in that way. Um, but, but not since then, not since the prestige do, in my opinion, has any of Christopher Nolan's pushing forward the envelope actually mattered or been, uh, been, been a success. And so, so to me, this is what I wish Christopher Nolan would go back to and leave behind the slick, you know, 007, uh, style of, you know, wish fulfillment filmmaking that he's been doing and, yeah. and give us just good characters again. And I, I would be totally on board. And I think that's his strong skill set. Um, just give me something creative wrapped around a good story. And, um, yeah, it mementos, you know, one of the best independent films ever made and, yes. and, and, and such a strong outing for not a first time director, but, um, but, what this is what a second film um i believe so so which his first film following is also very good if you're interested in 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 chris frolin's filmography uh check that out as well um but but yeah i wish he would get back to something like this and leave behind all of the you know millions and millions of dollars to get thrown at his his feet to like do things with him and Mm -hmm. you know it, it just something simple and good story is what what he's best at Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if, if anyone listening has not watched Memento, yeah. Memento is great. I, I, yeah. I, it's one of those things that, that has the potential to, to elevate the taste and the appreciation of the average moviegoer. Yes. Like it's so well done and yeah. such, such high art to me. Yeah. It's one of those rare things that can entertain an audience. And by the end of them go, wow, I never thought a story could be told this way. Yeah. You know, and, but and you have and to mo- pay attention. Right. And most movies that that are made don't do that. Like Enemy at the Gates is a good movie. It's really good. And you watch it and you're like, that was good. And I really enjoyed that. Here's all the things I enjoyed about it. But those are all the standard elements of film just done well. Yeah. So even though it's a good movie, at the end of the day, you're still getting what you kind of expected, which was, oh, a good movie. Memento is like, I'm going to show you what exactly what this medium can do. And yep. I'm going to do it in the way that's so clear that even the average moviegoer expecting an average movie can appreciate it and walk yep. away like with a new, with a new sense of taste. Yeah. And that's, that is saying something, I think. So speaking of, I'll let you move on, but speaking, if we're talking about Christopher Nolan and mm-hmm. his early filmography and you know, what a good executed, uh, a well executed, uh, example of like typical film structure is mm-hmm. watch the next film that he made insomnia. Um, it's, it's a very typical movie. It's very like 
straightforward. There's no special tricks that Nolan is known for in it, but it's a very well-told story. And to me, it really works. Um, So if you're also interested in like, how does Christopher Nolan do with just like a normal script? There you go. Um, All right. Number two, I've got Ocean's Eleven. Okay. Four star. Um, I've loved Ocean's Eleven for a long time. We had the DVD. Uh, I think my brother had it or something. So I, I watched Ocean's Eleven all the time when I was yeah. uh, a teenager. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it's great. It's just so yeah. good. Uh, yeah. so well paced. It and 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 here's an important factor. It's so it's really fun to watch. Yes. It's just fun to watch. It's not a slog. It's not a chore. There's no oh great this part. Like everything about it is just fun. Yeah. Um. Uh, that's really all I have written down for it. Like Soderbergh, like the other, there's, there's other oceans movies and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, but Soderbergh made a movie that is there's, I mean, heist movies are just great. And, but he made a heist movie that was really stylish. Um, he's got a bunch of actors who really iconic and leading, leading care, leading actors in their own right. All of them almost just made them so interesting and quirky and yeah. everyone and on top of the fact that they everyone just seems to be enjoying making the movie yep. a lot um yep. it's uh it's just so good i loved it like you know especially considering that it's a remake yes you know it's a remake say, of a sinatra movie i think mm-hmm. yeah and and it's crazy like to me this kind of perfected the heist movie uh yeah. like formula um, in a way that cemented it as a genre in a weird way. Like, like it said, here's the tropes of the genre. Here's, you know, the aesthetic of the genre and, and almost every heist movie since has played on oceans 11 in some way. Um, and, and like paid homage to it in, in one way or another. Um, so that, that's what makes oceans 11 important. Um, now it did spawn two sequels. I don't really remember, the sequels as fondly i but i i know no. i saw them but i don't really remember them um no al pacino's in one of them that's He's all i remember 13 the third one okay yeah yeah so 12 i don't really remember much but but the but but i will say like um oceans 11 is is a is almost like the perfect heist movie yeah like when you when you if you compile the list of the best heist movies ever, mm-hmm. I mean it's got to be up there. Yeah, like the, the the top three of this list are like the movies that I would like bring with me. Like, okay, if uh, I would leave the rest behind, they were great. But like these these ones are all like like master classes in a particular genre, you know. Yep. Yep. Um, or if it's Memento, it's like this kind of like. I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's just its own thing. That's great. I guess mystery, but like, sure. You know, but yeah, yeah, as far as what oceans 11 did for heist films, it's iconic. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of iconic, number one, the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. Yeah. Uh, Obviously this is a five star film. Uh, It's my number one. Uh, And I think we've probably, uh, we've, we've probably talked about it at some point. There's not, there's, 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 you know, I mean, what is there to say? I mean, everyone knows how popular and how great and how yeah. how iconic the Lord of the Rings films are. Um, it was a joy to watch this again for this yeah. list and to watch the extended edition and uh, appreciate it. And 
like it and welcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just forget the scale at which these movies are made, but just like, like the, again, like how well do they hold up? Like just considering just how well they hold up as films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything's still so exciting. Um, it's just incredibly well done filmmaking, just great character relationships, great pace, great scale, um, great action, uh, great emotion. The, uh, Howard Shore's music is just all inspiring. And yeah. uh, everything about this movie is just perfect. So well, yeah. so like what this did, you know, if you want to put it into like what this did for film, like what it did for epic fantasy is just like, yeah everything that came after it was compared to it and, and almost none of it measured up, you know? Uh, I mean, it's just, what do you say? What else do you say? It's, it's it's the, it's the the best film of 2001 uh, hands down. Yes, I I agree. Best movie of 2001. One of my favorite movies of all time. Forget what this movie did for movies. Forget what this movie did for cinema. Uh, What this movie did for me was elevate this thing that I enjoyed movies Mm-hmm. into a true passion where yes. I thought, oh, I like look at the list of names at the end of the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. All of those people were paid to work on this and make it happen. Yeah. I could be one of those people. Yeah. Um, and that was that was what it did for me. So the Lord of the Rings is very special to me in in that regard, because, yes, there were movies that I loved prior to the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely there were, but it wasn't until the Lord of the Rings that I realized like, whoa, we're, we're telling like actual stories here that are emotional and mean something to Mm -hmm. people, you know? And, and when, when we came out, when this came out, we were young. Right. And, um, and I did not see this one in theaters. Um, I did did you awesome yeah, yeah my um, mom took me sweet yeah that that that's awesome because yeah. for me my first exposure to tolkien was in between i don't even remember what grade it was in between two grades like we had a summer reading list and one yeah. of the one of the books required was the hobbit right and i was like Oh, crap, this stupid fantasy thing. It's dumb. It's for babies, whatever. And and like <laughs> I and I read it and I hated every second of it. Literally hated every second of reading The Hobbit. And then I realized, like, looking back on it, I just hated reading what people told me to read. Right. I, I didn't I didn't give the book a fair shake. And I've read it since then and love it. Right. So um, but back then, like I hated it. And so when I saw the Lord of the Rings and was like, oh, this is Ewan Hobbit, I was like, that's dumb. I'm not seeing that. And, and it wasn't until I, I believe that I, I don't think I even saw the two towers in theaters. I think I saw Return of the King in theaters and that mm. was the only one I saw. And, and I watched it and sat there floored because I'd watched the two previous, I went to Blockbuster and got right. them and like watched them yeah. and, and was like, oh, this is actually really good. And then I saw the third one in theaters and I did not cry, I, I, but I, I mean, I think I would cry now. I haven't watched, mm. I have not watched Return of the King in its, in, in, I have not watched the trilogy in full since, uh, let's see, Sarah and I were dating. So that probably would have been like 2015, maybe 2014, mm-hmm. um, when we sat down and watched all of them. And 
I think I, I think I absolutely would cry now because there have been times where like some of the music comes on Spotify, like as I'm driving to work and I'm like, crap, dude, I'm going to cry just from this song. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's so and good. It's so good. And, yeah. and, and so I, I, I can, I can talk all day long about why the Lord of the Rings is fantastic, but we all know why it tells a good story about good characters. It's yeah. fun to watch. It's exciting to watch. It's easy to understand. And the stakes are the highest yeah. that they're ever going to be in this world. And, um, and, and it's just so fresh and fun and great. And there it's art on every level. Like you just mentioned how we're sure you just mentioned like all these things, like just, just the work of John Howe and the work of, um, all of the, um, all of the production design designers who created, uh, hair and makeup and wardrobe and all of the, the, the shot on location in New Zealand, like every part of this is firing on all cylinders and there is not a single part of it that does not work. Um, and, and so I, I'd say all three, I kind of count them as one movie. Right. Um, but in, in my brain, they're just all jumbled up as one awesome story. Yeah. I, it's perfect. It, it, it is absolutely perfect. Yeah. This movie and the others I had on DVD as they came out. So I would get like the two disc. And so I would watch all of those special features yes. yep. over and over and over again. Um, when I was a kid and it started around the, this time, I would write, I would put on the subtitles. Yeah. Actually, even before some of them didn't have them, but I would put on the subtitles for movies and I would pause and I would hand write the entire script mm. on a legal pad. Yeah. Because I was studying dialogue and yeah. I was just studying. I just, that's just what I did. I was just a weird kid who was just doing that. So I yeah. had all three of these movies. I had oceans 11. I did it for that. I did that for Spider-Man one. Mm. Um, I did it for plenty of these things. So like I have, I'm very intimately, uh, aware of these movies. Yeah. Um, to, to a, to a micro level like that. And I've, yeah. I've, you know, I've watched all those features and I just, I know a lot about them and I just, yep. and it, and the same, it was for me, it was one of those where I was just like, people make these and I could make these and like, this is how they make these. And this is like yep. one of the biggest films ever made. So like, if yep. you can understand how to make one of these movies, you can understand how to make a whole bunch of other kinds of movies. And it just, it yep. just did a lot for the whole, like, wow. Like, I, I think I want to do this. The perfect mixture of, of craft and, and emotional storytelling is just yep. really, really great. Yeah, the the I always say the first film school I ever went to was the special features on the Lord of the Rings. Yes. DVDs. Yeah. Like that was that was hands down. I still I still have them. I'll never yeah. get rid of the DVDs. Yeah. Um I have the Blu-rays too, but I'll never get rid of the DVDs because like that was my first film school. Yeah, some some rando from CBS talking to Elijah Wood and still still like oh, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's, yeah. Right. It's good stuff and Yeah. Yeah, man, there's plenty there there's plenty of moments in every single one of those movies where like I'm like I'm emotional like for yeah. me, like in, in this film, it's, 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 Bo it's Boromir. It's Boromir saving the hobbits at yeah. the end, especially in the extended edition. Cause he does a little more. Yep. Um, yep. but him running in and like saving their lives is just like, it's just great. It's just cinema. Yeah. And like every time he gets shot and he kills a few more of them, you're just like, Fuck. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's really, 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 really great. And not really to mention, great. not to mention the death of Gandalf, like fly you fools. And then they all come out and they're all like crying out of the oh, mines. And, so and I'm just like, Ugh. Oh man. And there's so many moments in all these movies where like just my adrenaline's pumping, you yeah. know, I'll talk about the two towers, uh, you know, next time, but like, it, yeah. you know, there's so many in there. This, I mean, 
just just amazing amazing I stuff mean, the music swell when 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 frodo says i'll take it i'll take the ring and it's like every, it's like then every everyone just stops yeah but i do not know the way and it's mm-hmm. like this thing where it's like what did this this little guy just just volunteer himself yeah. for this for it's like Man, such a I don't know. It's so it's so beautiful. It's really and beautiful. It's, we we can talk obviously more about Return of the King because that that's my favorite of the trilogy. It just wraps everything up so beautifully. But like there there are specific points in my brain where I know, yeah, the next time I sit down and watch those movies, I'm going to cry at these points. I already know it. This might be my favorite of the trilogy. This it's one. it's most people's. Uh, yeah, and and for for because for a lot of people, it, this feels a lot more intimate. Uh, it's more tangible than the other ones do because there's there's larger scale more effects there's just more writing and character in this movie and that's that's probably why but yep yep uh, there's plenty of moments in the other ones that are just tremendous and 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 pay off and pay off everything set up in this movie and this sets up things you know like you said one big story a few other things from 2001 that um and and these are not really in any order of quality just sort of like here we go Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the Royal Tenenbaums for the first time. Never seen it before. Okay. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Everyone's like Royal Tenenbaums, Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I gave it two stars. I didn't like it. Um, okay. I didn't like it at all. It didn't piss me off, but, um, but not only was I not invested in this story, I was just bored. Like yeah. I was just falling asleep. I just was totally disengaged. And you know, it is a Wes Anderson movie. You've got this, you've got the perfectly symmetrical, you know, framing and everything. And so the craft is on display. Um, but like, the script is just, I was just bored to tears. I didn't care. And it's so quirky that if you can't latch on to me, I can't appreciate your style because I, I don't care what happens to anybody. Um, I feel that way about all Wes Anderson and I, and I've I admittedly only seen very little of him, but yeah, I, I really like moonrise kingdom a lot. Um, okay. uh, and I don't think I finished for some reason, the grand Budapest hotel, but there's a lot there. That's, that's, that's good. I, I like Wes Anderson, but I do find his stuff to be difficult to latch onto emotionally. Yeah. I appreciate him on a technical level. Uh, sure. He's a little obsessive about it, um, but you know, whatever. It's yeah. a prerogative. Yep. Um, all right. Ali three and a half okay. stars. Um, yep. I'd seen it a long time ago, but I hadn't seen it. as like an adult and um, yeah, so I was glad I watched it again, uh, but it didn't leave a lasting impact on me. Um, it's a flat arc. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali is just changing the culture around him as yeah. he's adjusting to, you know, the civil rights movement. And um, flat arc is always a risky move for me because the protagonist yeah. doesn't grow or evolve. And in the case of, of this film, the third act just doesn't build too much. Um, yeah. Everyone did a good job. Will Smith did a good job. You know, uh, this uh, who directed this? Michael Mann, I think. Mm-hmm. directed this i forgot wow um anyway um but to me the film is just okay um yeah it's it's long the first half is is really well paced actually the second half kind of gets dragged out a little slower which i get it the story slows down ali stops boxing he's got money problems so you know but it's just the pace just drags to a halt um yeah. but and it leads to a not very satisfying climax um there's a lot more interesting things going on in the American context at this time, civil rights, Vietnam, you know, his ban from boxing his money, trouble, legal battles. Um, and maybe it does give context to the significance of the rumble in the jungle. Um, but it's still slow. Um, if you've never seen it, 
I'd say it's yeah. three and a half. I mean, it's a, it's a good movie. The cast is great, but yeah. Um, you know, rewatching it, I was just like, I don't know again, good, but it's just like, I don't know. There's other stuff. Um, yeah. but, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it was, it, it was important for Will Smith's career at the time, you know, because this was like, this was a pretty, a fairly serious project for him to take on as someone mm-hmm. who's, you know, not doing this kind of movie at the time. Yeah. So, all right. Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Directed by Ridley Scott. Yep. I gave it a three. Okay. Not a lot of yep. thoughts. Well shot, well acted. Ultimately not picking up on the message of the story again. It's yep. more like, what are we talking about? Is this yep. just Ridley Scott was asked to do a, a Hannibal Lecter movie and this is what he wanted to do. Um, yep. Gorgeous. You know, a lot of European landscape, you know, it's great. Uh, yeah. But, you know, Anthony Hopkins is obviously great. But the movie itself is pretty forgettable. Um, the Mexican starring Brad Pitt, three and a half mm-hmm. stars, um, much better film than it seems at face value. It's, it's mostly just about this dude who has to go out into Mexico to retrieve like this famed pistol, this old pistol and, um, things ensue. The, the shining scene stealer in the movie is James Gandolfini. Um, mm-hmm. every scene with him is magic. Yeah. Um, and so every time he pops up, you're just like, oh, great. Another another scene with this this character. That's great. Um, yeah. But it's just really long. Movies like over two hours long and everything involving the lore of this pistol. They're just building up its history and like and then it was passed to the grandfather. It's just so boring and meaningless. <laughs> it's yeah. just just get me to the crime part of it. So um, for the first time, I saw Legally Blonde. OK. Had never seen it before. Yeah. And pleasantly surprised. Three and a half stars. Uh, the film is predicated is 2001. So it's predicated on the notion that somebody like L woods getting into Harvard is ridiculous. Yeah. Which is like kind of sexist and prejudicial today. Um, right. For me, the film has a lot going for it. There's a reason it's a, it's a cultural staple and there's a reason it catapulted Reese Witherspoon to stardom because she's really great in it and it's yep. just a charming movie. And yep. um I, I liked it. I think there was a sequel that was made at some point. Yes. And so I have not seen the sequel. There's another one coming. Is there? See, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tune in for it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's again, in 2001, it was probably like much more groundbreaking for this kind of story. But like, uh, you know, it's, I think it still holds up pretty well. Um, I saw just, that in theaters, by the way. Really? <laughs> I did. <laughs> How'd that I don't know why. You didn't see Lord of the Rings, but you saw Legally Blonde. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. I don't did, know why. Did your mom not have like a babysitter that day? <laughs> She's like, all right, Dustin, you're coming with me. No, I went to the, I just went to the theater and was like, eh, I'll see it. Whatever. Okay. You're, yeah, a, you're a big Luke Wilson fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A Knight's Tale. Heath Ledger had seen it mm-hmm. a few times. Yeah. Not as amazing as I remember. I remember mm. I used to love the movie. I thought yeah. it was so cool and inventive and, you know, it's still a fun movie with a unique presentation. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a you know, it's a sports music. movie. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's structurally, it's a sports movie about an athlete yeah. pretending to be somebody who's not trying to excel yeah. in his sport when, yeah. when, when the, uh, you know, get the girl. Um, and, uh, so, uh, so they do some fun stuff with contemporary music in the medieval setting, which is, their reasoning is great, which is like whatever they're listening to would have been like rock and roll to them. Yep. So we're just trying to orient the audience and what they're dancing to. It's like, yep. yes, it's anachronistic, but it's a, it's a solid artistic choice. But I will yep. say the, the third act of the movie is really emotional. 
there's a bunch of stuff. If you remember like where he was, his, his dad, like he goes to see his father and it's like, he thought, he's like, I thought my son was dead. And he's like, father, I live. And he's like, you William. And his father's blind. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you'll always be my son. I'm, I'll always be proud of my son. I was like, it's like, where did this come from? Yeah. Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice tail. Solid. Not so solid is swordfish, um, mm. which I gave one star. I, I used, Oof. I used to own this movie. Um, uh, I genuinely do not know what I saw in it. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie. Oh, I, uh, it's just, it's just this uh, Hugh Jackman is a hacker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Any movie from 01 with a hacker in yeah, it is he, probably not great. He, he's a tall, handsome hacker. Hacker. And, uh, and he gets roped into this thing with like this, basically a domestic terrorist that John Travolta plays. Um, okay. Financially, this new world order, blah, 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 whatever. Halle Berry's naked. And, um, you know, maybe I thought that the plot was oh, cool. That's why you liked it. <laughs> or that, or that John Travolta may have been fun to watch or that yeah. Halle Berry alone was worth seeing the movie. Sure. Um, but the truth is the plot of the movie is just stupid. Uh, and the movie has so many needless action beats. The hacking scenes are ridiculous, just like they were in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, and after a really cool opening scene, the movie's a total letdown. Like it starts mm-hmm. with like this cool three sixty shot of like these, vests going off with these ball bearings explosions and stuff stupid convenient ending with completely unearned rewards and underexplained resolutions just one of those movies that just wraps up and you're like why would that even that's just dumb everyone just yeah, okay yeah. so uh, i don't recommend swordfish if you okay. were on the fence about this film uh rush rush hour two mm-hmm. i'm almost done i got three more rush hour two um another one star pissed me off Again, used to love it. Yeah. Used to love yeah. it. Yeah. The yeah. only good part of this movie is Jackie Chan. Yeah. And every scene that he is in because yeah. Jackie Chan is great. Yeah. Um, and this was like the height of his popularity in America was these films. Yeah. It's obvious that him and Chris Tucker really love working together. It's it's clear to me. Uh, yeah. But Chris Tucker's comedy does not translate well uh, 20 years later. It's just obnoxious. Yeah. And Brett Ratner's gaze. In in retrospect, especially feels gross. There's a whole scene where this Isabella character is getting undressed in an adjacent hotel and they're Mm. just watching her change. Yeah. And like taking turns looking through a telescope. Yep. Yep. And you know, when you're 12, you're like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But when you're like, when you're 33 and you're like, hey, an adult directed this, you're like, oh, this is weird. (laughs) This is kind of crazy. Like, like this, the same woman, just as attractive. Like, Great, but then you're like, wait a second though, like this is a this is a movie, like right. What are we doing? So and then he's like, show me the badge, and he's like, she moves the robe over, and like she's on like her bra, and he's like, wait, show 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 me again, show me the badge. I didn't get a good look at that, and you're like, it's not even funny. Yeah, um, yeah. It just feels gross. Uh, but this is what movies were in the early two thousands. Yeah, <laughs> and yep. uh, and I guess that's fine. It just doesn't bring with it much to recommend to a modern audience. Okay, fair so enough. that's Rush Hour Two, Rat Race. Three stars. Okay. Um, actually begins much better than it ends, but it begins surprisingly not dumb. We've got a diverse range of characters and situations that they're in. And the film is actually a little bit of a commentary about class systems with the millionaire characters. This is a movie about a bunch of strangers and 
Vegas who each mysteriously get like a gold, like a key and they get, they get sent to this conference room and they find out by, but they're explained to you by John Cleese, who is this eccentric million billionaire. He's like, there's a lockbox in New Mexico. Uh, you got to go to silver city and inside is $2 million. That's it. Mm-hmm. No strings attached. Go. Yep. And they keep cutting back to those guys throughout the movie and him and his billionaire friends are constantly, this is what they do. They're just betting. All right. Who thinks that, the Mr. Bean character will get there first. Who thinks it's going to be Seth Green and his Dane Cook looking brother with the tongue piercing who is not Dane Cook? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what about Whoopi Goldberg and her daughter? Like, you know, just like what about Brecken Meyer and Amy Smart, two actors we never see anymore? Um, yeah. You know what? It's so it's just it's it's an interesting kind of fun comedic romp with multiple characters, multiple storylines. So Rat Race is solid. Then the, the, the movie ends at a Smash Mouth concert. So that's terrible. Um, it's so terrible. Yeah. So Rat Race is solid. I still think it might be worth seeing maybe if, you, if you're nostalgic for, for the early 2000s. But I would recommend more than that is the movie it was likely based on, which is a movie from 1964 called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Mm-hmm. Same kind of premise. Bunch of characters learn they need to get to a, a big W in some city in California where there's money buried and all the big actors of the time were in the movie and you know Mickey Rooney was in the movie and it's and it's really funny and there's a whole lot of like just sets like you know like like car accidents and shit getting destroyed and when you consider it's like 1964 and all these all this stuff they built and it's just it's a really fucking funny movie even decades later it's great um, in fact, I'm, I'm going to watch it again soon. Just uh, talk myself into it. There you go. The last thing on here is vanilla sky. I gave it three and a half stars. although I don't quite know what to make with this movie. It's a Cameron Crowe film starring Tom Cruise. It's a really well-made film and it's, uh, I'm sure at the time it was a pretty surreal talker to people. Cause it's, it deals yeah. a lot with like, what's real, what's not, you know, uh, I just think it really collapses in on itself in the second half. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I finally checked it out. Uh, I read the theories online about whether people think that the events of the film are real or not, because it goes in some weird directions by the end of it, um, like with digital life extension and stuff, which is pretty insane for 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the film's explanation of the plot seems to work best, so I, I can take it at face value that, you know, when they tell him at the end, like, no, like, you're not dreaming now. It's like... Mm-hmm. I can believe, you know, yeah, it's good. there's a bunch of alternate theories that just don't aren't supported by the movie. So sure. I don't know. I can see why it was fun at the time, but uh, I don't know. It's, it yeah. just depends on how much you like Tom Cruise, how much you like Cameron Crowe um, and how much time you have on your hands. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, gotcha. that is my Sweet. 2001 list. Um, awesome. I've, I've got 2002 films that I'm racking up here to watch. Um, to do another list uh, next year. Um, mm-hmm. And I do enjoy this. I enjoy watching these films. I enjoy revisiting them. And what they ultimately remind me of is just a, obviously, cause it's 20 years ago, just a simpler time in movies when movies in general were just, I don't know, a little, a little simpler, a little more quaint. And like we were going yeah. through the beginning of what, what movies have become now. Uh, yeah. You know, this transition from middle budget stuff to franchise stuff. Yeah, you and and you can you can see the the seeds 
planted of like, you know, franchises and IPs and all of that being important, as well yeah. as the need for remakes and reboots and whatever. But um, but you're right. It's still a simpler time because a movie feels like this was like a painstaking labor of a bunch of people that got together and made a movie and actually got it made through the studio system. And yeah. now it just feels like, A, there's so many options. Making a movie doesn't feel as impressive anymore. Yeah. And and B, the movies that are made tend to be uh, homogenous in a way that back in 2001, like everything on your list feels pretty distant from each other. Yeah. Um, and, Even something like know, Vanilla you, Sky. It's like I'm looking yeah. at it and I'm like, it's not based on it except maybe like a book or something, but like it's, it's audiences have never heard of vanilla sky at the time. Right. All they know is that Tom Cruise is in it. And it's like, we were talking about with Tom Cruise being like the last movie star. It's like, even at the time, like there were much more actors in his position, even then where it's like, I'm not sure what this is, but Tom Cruise is in it. So I'll check it out. So let's go see it. And they watch a movie that's like, that makes them think and it's, and it's kind of out there and weird. You know, right. and they walk away going like, well, I saw this crazy film, Vanilla Sky. And, you know, even yeah. though I don't really understand the ending, it was kind of cool and, you know, yeah. outside the box. Right. And it was exactly. made by an artist, you know, and right. I don't know what the last thing is that Cameron Crowe directed. Uh, didn't he do that movie where Emma Stone played a Hawaiian lady or something? <laughs> oh, did he? <laughs> I think so. Um <laughs> Sorry, I derailed. No, I, it, I, rem- I remember hearing about it and think I mean, that that was like the last time I remember one of those films coming out and people being like, "Hey, like they ain't cool," you know? Yeah, that was his actual last. Uh, his his last was actual twenty seventeen, twenty fifteen. Oh, he did. He did do. It looks like a couple of TV episodes okay. for a show called Roadies, and then a, a short film for Stevie Nicks. Um, but his last feature was 2015. Wow. And yeah, it was mired in that controversy. Boy. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, look, but but yes, I, the, the 2001 was definitely a simpler time. And um, and it felt like movies were an event in a way that now it doesn't necessarily feel as eventful. It's just like an inevitability that there are movies. Yeah. And in 2001, it was still like, oh, cool. A, a movie came out. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know. And the early maybe 2000s, that's nostalgia talking, but maybe, but like, you know, this was the time in, in our lives where we were really paying attention to movies on a technical level. Like yeah. just, you know, aside from like, that was fun or that's kind of exciting to like, wow, that's really great. Like movies themselves are getting better. And also like the kinds of movies that are getting made are just, you know, I mean, again, we're going to get into other movies like Spider-Man the next time we come around. And then, you know, we've got Pirates of the Caribbean. We have plenty of movies being made that are just emblematic of what's to come. But like, nonetheless, like it's no secret. I've said on the podcast before, I think Pirates one is a perfect film. Just like I think the prestige is a perfect film. Pirates became something terrible and emblematic yep. of what franchise filmmaking became. Yep. But nonetheless, that first movie is a technical, just not just a, 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 a symphonic achievement in, yeah. in filmmaking yeah. and just happens to be a perfect movie. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about it probably two years from now when I talk about 2003 films, but, right. uh, but like, that's what I like about dipping into these lists and revisiting yep. is coming back over those and going like, wow, this was made 20 years ago and this still holds up. Like, yeah, like 
and, and things that were made at the time with less emphasis on intrinsic value and more emphasis on what it looks like. Those yep. are the ones that people forget about because they're yep. instantly tied and anchored to a moment in time. Whereas yep. I don't care. Yes. I know Johnny Depp is older and fatter now. I know yep. that I know that Gore Verbinski hasn't done much lately, not at least doing yeah. nothing, but like, you know, I just, I know that there's a lot of things, Oh, Orlando Bloom, don't see him that much anymore or yep. Kira Knightley, but like you still watch it and go, it doesn't matter. This movie like stays with me. It, it moves forward in time with me It is yep. untethered to 2003. It just floats yep. around as I don't care what year it is. This movie is perfect. That's the, uh, that's the, the best of 2001, uh, according yep. to me and, uh, yep. sticking to it. And, and here, here, here's a prediction. I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. Within the next five years, they will announce a Pirates of the Caribbean Disney plus series. Ooh. That's, that's my prediction. Okay. I don't, I don't know that it'll include Johnny Depp, but it'll, okay. it, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining some sort of a Disney plus series in the next five years. Boy. Okay. Interesting. You really think they'll run out of ideas? <laughs> I think they will. I think they will. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. We'll see. You could be right. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. We'll see. All right, everybody. Cool. Go watch some of these movies, I guess, that I recommended. I've given you plenty of recommendations. Yes. Go forth, my children. Live long and prosper. <laughs> hey, we ended the show. <laughs> hey. Hooray. Right.